0: following program is brought to you by susti party an online party supply store for eco-friendly party products and biodegradable compostable tableware for more information visit sustyparty.com. you're listening to heritage radio network broadcasting live from bushwick brooklyn if you like this program visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more
1: Episode, episode forty-nine. I'm your host Jesse Kiefer,
2: and I'm Jen Delek.
1: In studio today, Marcy Frankoviac, bartender at Saint Maisie in Williamsburg. She was selected as one of the New York Times Women Behind Bars. Congratulations on that, Marcy. Thank you. And uh, she's also a badass mural painter. We'll talk to her a little later on the show about uh, bartending at St. Maisie and why it even why it even matters to be a female bartender. Why why that topic is even why does around. it matter? I, I'm not I entirely wonder. sure, but we're going to get down to it. And speaking of behind bars, uh, after the break. The morning after takes a dark turn. We'll hear from Arizona Republic reporter Michael Kiefer, and no, the last name is no coincidence. He is my father. Uh, He covers courts and crime in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, and with that beat uh, comes witnessing executions. So we'll talk to him about death row inmate last meals.
2: And later we will revisit our favorite two standbys, the now legendary sequence known as front of house, where we uh, highlight terrible mishaps from the front of house service industry and also what's on the menu at Chardonnays, our mystical 90s restaurant featuring terrible <laughs> food and wine trends of days gone by but first before we go to a break uh, a good friend of the shows is in the house tonight talking or by really this afternoon
1: it's morning ready, after. I'm ready that's, for it to be evening. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a huge time frame. I'm wearing
2: enough eye makeup for it to be evening, <laughs> so it was confusing. Uh, a good friend of mine and a co-worker, Andrew Halden from Highlands Restaurant Group, is with us tonight to talk about a really cool event that he is doing this evening. Mr. Halden, welcome to the show.
3: Good afternoon, America.
4: <laughs> Straight
2: from London. Uh, the accent so is no joke. It's- I've been lucky enough... Uh, to work with this fine gentleman for a couple of years now. And Andrew, in addition to being a kick-ass bartender and dapper gentleman, is hosting a really cool event at my place of work. Andrew, tell us about your quiz night.
3: Um, Yeah, so it's a trivia night on Sunday evenings. Um, That's this evening. Um, It runs from 7 till 9 p.m. There are food availabilities beforehand and drink availabilities throughout. Um, the trivia is fun with an emphasis on fun <laughs> um, it's going to be a good time basically I write the questions uh, can I give you an example maybe, please of one? please quiz us <clears throat> some are very subjective of course but uh, the bigger the imagination the bigger the point scoring uh, one of the questions last week was if the rock was actually a rock what stone would he be and what formation would he be found in
2: May I share the answer I gave you while working?
3: Please, Jen, do. Andrew
2: and I were working a particularly slow shift, and to pass the time... Dead. Dead. Tumbleweeds. uh, Andrew gave me the quiz, and I believe my answer was a slab of faux granite on the kitchen floor of Lindsay Lohan's mansion.
3: Three points. (laughs) That's top school.
2: And this is what we're talking about with being subjective. If you don't have an imagination and are yet talented at stenography, you still have an opportunity to win, because there are questions that are straight-up trivia, like...
3: Like? Hmm. <laughs> Can
1: I give my rock? I mean, I, oh, was, I was thinking of it r- rather literally. I was going to call him, like, lava, hardened lava, magma, volcanic That's good. We, we did
3: have a lava, actually. We also had pebble, because deep inside he's quite soft and small. <laughs> <laughs> the pebble rock. Uh, there's other things like, you know, like... So the first round is always um, New York this week. So it's 10 questions about what happened in New York this week. Some are pretty random, which have multiple choice answers. The second is also always Musica y Filma. That is uh, Spanish for music and film. Is it? I'm sorry if that's not Spanish. Learning while having fun. It's English-Spanish. And then the third and fourth round, Rotate. Uh, We do charades. uh, Spot the difference. All mature things, basically, that adults should do. Uh,
2: let me ask you this: are are there are the winners rewarded in any way?
3: That's correct. They are. Thank you, Jim, for asking that. You're um, they, <coughs> they, uh, <laughs> yeah. So at the moment, we are uh, we're just getting on our feet, and there's uh, champagne prizes for the ultimate winner, and then each round, I have a uh, clear bottle of liquid uh, with a bit of masking tape on it, which uh, has the word booze and it's the booze bowl and the booze bowl is poured out to any imaginative and creative people and people that make other people laugh
2: so there's multiple opportunities to drink
3: <laughs> basically yeah is what you're telling me on a serious note no hecklers uh, we did have someone that had to be deje- uh, deje- Re- ejected, uh
2: Re- ejected. Re- ejected 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 ejected, ejected. 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 There isn't an eject button
3: they were dejected after they were ejected
2: it ejects uh, them right into rosemary's. That's right. Yeah. Them right in the middle of rosemary.
3: Um, yeah. So I mean, there, are, place for that. there is a slight serious side to it because obviously, you know, it's a competitive sport. I believe um, trivia. We call it quiz in the UK. And uh, it's um, yeah. So there's, there's prizes to be won. Um, it's actually going to be going in the Time Out magazine on the calendar the week after next. Fantastic. So it's going to get pretty busy. Come in, make a team, no bigger than four. Um, and in two weeks' time, we're going to start a 12-week cycle. And at the end of that, there'll be a big prize.
1: Did people ever get in, in, like, physical altercations about this? I mean,
3: <clears> not yet, but I hope so. Well, I'm
2: coming tonight, and I plan on getting a little rowdy. So watch out. I'm small but mighty. So to recap, Andrew, for those of you listening who are obviously interested, this is at Highlands Restaurant, which is at?
3: Highlands Restaurant is on the corner of uh, West 10th and Waverly Place in the West Village of Manhattan. And, uh,
2: Which is Spanish for <laughs> Manhattan
3: uh, Manhattan, that's right um, And it is on uh, 150 West 10th Street
2: You can take the one train to Christopher
3: One train to Christopher Or you can take the ACE to West That's correct, yeah Or you can take the train f- to Columbus Circle And just walk like 50 or blocks if you have south. a pack mule,
2: donkey, or, <laughs> yeah. or quarter horse You can just hop on that and take it at your leisure um, Well, Andrew, thank you so much for stopping by
3: Jen, thank you. Jess, thank you. Marcy, um, thank you. And thank you, America.
2: I will see you in T-minus four hours. And let me tell you, I got my game-playing hat on.
3: Let's play quiz.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> the morning after here on Heritage Radio Network. We're going to take a quick break. and We'll be right back.
4: And I'm Jessica Holsey. We are the entrepreneurs behind Susty Party. Susty Party creates responsibly made, eco friendly party supplies and compostable tableware. Parties and events generate the second largest amount of waste in the USA, just behind the construction industry. Susty Party products make parties more sustainable and sustainability a little more fun. Susty Party plates, bowls, and straws are available in Whole Foods retail stores and also at SustyParty.com. We offer a curated selection of other Susti-approved party supplies. We also have a commercial division, Sustiware, that sells compostable tableware in bulk to businesses and food service industry establishments. Susti Party is a certified youth trade company and B Corporation. Our social, economic, environmental,
1: and even spiritual values drive Susti Party to live our motto, "Respect Respect Earth and Party On! Welcome back to the Morning After on Heritage Radio Network. In studio, Michael Kiefer, reporter for the Arizona Republic and author of three novels and one nonfiction book. And the last name is no coincidence. He is my father. So two Kiefer's, one studio. Hey, Emma. Dad. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> now, uh, now, in uh, in Arizona, and the Arizona Republic, you cover uh, courts and and crime. And, and with that comes uh, witnessing executions, correct?
5: Right. I... I Pretty much cover the gamut of uh, death penalties from when they're uh, from the trial and then uh, through to the execution
1: and so how many executions have you have you witnessed
5: I've witnessed four but i've covered uh, I've covered ten and i don 't know how many uh, uh, cases I've covered that have ended in death penalties
1: and I- you know, one of the I, I just find kind of strangest announcements that they do with, after executions is is talk about the last meal. And I know often you know people will will joke about oh you know what would my last meal be, but um, but it's a, it's a, r- a real thing and and people get pretty specific.
5: Absolutely, um, it's it's executions are it's strange to say, but they're almost ritualistic. That uh, and I once heard a prosecutor uh, say that he. Thought that they staged them that way to try to convince themselves that uh, this was not a violent act, but part of the ritual. And editors love uh, the last meal. Is is this announcement of uh, what they uh, what their last meal was? Usually, after the execution's over, they gather the media. The witnesses then address the media, but before that, they give the time of death, and they very, very um, uh, formally and seriously. Uh, announce what the last meal was
1: so is there for the inmate is there a protocol that they follow uh as far as is what they're going to, to order for their last meal well
5: there's a there's a, a menu it, it's there's a lot of things they can they can choose from but uh it's uh, uh not an absolute open book you know you don't you can't get a six-pack
1: Unfortunate, probably exactly what they need at that moment. I,
5: exactly, <laughs>
1: that would be my last meal. Um, so, and, and in talking about how how specific uh, they can get, what are what are some of the the last meals that that you've witnessed? Maybe maybe one that that gets really really specific.
5: Well, Eric King was executed in 2011. He had uh, killed two security guards during a uh, robbery of a Phoenix convenience store, and his last meal, as they read it, was. Six ounces of fried catfish, one half cup collard greens, one half cup candied yams, two small portions of cornbread, one small tomato, one medium pink grapefruit, one wedge of chocolate cake, and two twenty-ounce bottles of cream soda.
1: It, it almost, in the beginning, kind of sounds like a like a very specific diet, you know, or a where recipe. you have to, yeah a recipe, <laughs> like something that you have to have to measure out. Um, now, um, as 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 far as, as the last meal, like why should it matter to to an inmate? They're just going to be, they're 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 going to be passing away, I- the next morning. Well,
5: I know one of the uh, one of the executions I covered the, uh, um, the the condemned man uh, chose not to have a last meal, afraid to be sick. Others uh, others enjoy it. I, I remember uh, a guy named Robert Towery was executed earlier this year. Had uh, he had a steak and baked potato and uh, mushrooms, asparagus. You know, the only thing missing was a, a nice Cabernet. But uh, he, he he really enjoyed it. He kept a diary of his last days, and I one of the things that really struck me, and it's kind of kind of sad, um, heart wrenching, was that uh, the, the the next morning they gave him like a a glass of orange juice, and he wrote down in this diary that he sent to his attorney. Um, uh, it's the first time I've had orange juice in 20 years, and I can't believe how good it tastes.
1: I I, I feel like I, would, I never would imagine what it would feel like to not have something for so long, and then the, the moment before you pass, like, you end up having well,
5: and there was another thing. there was another guy who, uh, at his clemency hearing, which was his last hearing before he was executed, wanted to save the bottle of water they gave him because he wanted to mix Kool-Aid in it because the water in prison was so bad and he was excited about the fact that he could have kool-aid that tasted good
1: now i mean i am sure prison food isn't isn't on the the top of you know gourmet lists but but in arizona it it is kind of a is this true with with joe arpaio and in the jails that he is specifically um making sure that they are having a kind of lousy meal (laughs) <laughs> or is that is that just my opinion
5: well green bologna. um that's a, a whole i mean jail and prison are two different things but oh, uh, sure um i don't know what they eat on a on a regular basis I, I assume the last meal was a little step up from their ordinary uh well sure fare. I,
1: I mean it's so does each prison have a chef or they are they going out to find these things do you think they they go to you know, they they get delivered do you what do you I think
5: they I, do. I have no idea.
1: Because I mean, you, you know, they have all these cakes. They have all these different sodas. I think we we were talking about one of them got Royal C- Crown Cola or something like that. And I don't even think I ever saw that growing up in Arizona.
5: Oh right, that was uh, that was like Bobby RC. Bobby Mormon who um, uh, was already in prison, and he had a. Um, uh, a family visit with his mother at a local motel, and she was also his lover. Uh. And she, uh, he strangled her and then cut her up into little pieces. And anyway, yes, he had uh, uh, very specifically uh, the Royal Crown uh, Cola, you Which know, I, along with the hamburger, fries, two beef burritos, and Rocky Road, Rocky Road ice cream.
1: Now, I, I wonder if, I mean, they, they can't always finish all of this, right? I mean, I wouldn't. I would imagine with ordering an, such an abundance of food like that, you're not going to be able to, to to take all that down in in one meal.
5: Well, I, <laughs> they don't they don't tell us how you know how much of it they ate, but uh, didn't uh, there used to be a whole lot of um, fried okra? That was a popular one. Really? Fried okra, right? Well, you know, Southern boys.
1: Got it. Um, wasn't there one one guy who actually couldn't finish all of his food and?
5: Well, it wasn't that he, this was a few, uh, a few years ago, um, and uh, he, it wasn't that he couldn't finish. He was a little out of touch with reality. He had a piece of cake, which he wrapped up, and when they asked him why he was wrapping up the piece of cake, he said he was going to save it for tomorrow.
1: It's pretty dark. Yes. <laughs> Do you think he actually believed it?
5: Um, possibly.
1: Um, and Dad, uh, thank you so much for being here with me. It's been a, an honor to have you on the morning after.
5: Uh, thank you, Jess, for inviting <laughs> me. I hope I uh, didn't uh, scandalize your listeners.
1: No, I think I think you know the last meal is, is an interesting topic, and I, it's certainly something that I've thought about. Not that I'm going to commit any crime where I would have to have a last meal, but um, do you have any ideas of what your your last meal would be? If and and let's not think let's not think death row. Just let's think last meal. Everything you could have.
5: I think I'm going for, uh, I think I'm going for that steak with mushrooms, uh, and asparagus and baked potato like, uh, like, uh, Robert Towery, except, uh, I'm hoping I get the nice red wine with mine. <laughs>
1: Sounds good. And, uh, where can, if, if anyone wants to check out your books or to, uh, to read any of your articles on the Republic, where, where can we send listeners to?
5: Well, uh, azcentral.com is the Arizona Republic. My books are, um, uh, available as eBooks and, uh, uh, paperbacks on Amazon and uh, other uh, other places. And uh, actually, that diary I mentioned, Robert Towry, is available also as an e book on uh, Amazon.com. It's called uh, Death House Diary, and it's fascinating uh, reading.
1: Well, thank you so much. We'll be back on the morning after on Heritage Radio Network.
2: And we're back here in the morning after on Heritage Radio Network. Here in studio with us today is a good friend of mine and a badass lady, Marcine Frankowiak, bartender at St. Maisie's and recently featured in New York Magazines or New York Times Magazines. Nice. It was in the paper and the magazine, right? I think mm-hmm. it was. It was everywhere. Um, Women behind bars feature. So cool. Congrats, first of all. Thank you. On the press. It's awesome. So I imagine that was a fun group of gals to do a shoot with.
4: <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing, because all of us have never, like, done something like that before, and we just walked in thinking that, oh, they're just going to take our picture and we're going to leave. It was, like, this huge building. Like, all these, like, models were kind of walking around, you know, like, drinking their Diet Cokes. We were, like, hauling on sandwiches and, like, drinking buds. (laughs) As you should. Um, Yeah. And we were just, like, cracking up the entire time. But It was a four-hour photo shoot.
2: Now, how many many of you were featured? Seven. Seven.
4: Most of the other um, chicks were, like, super badass. Like, they were from mostly Park Slope areas, some also part owners as well. Um, but all of them are just super cool. So Now, how, how did they find you? Who contacted you and how did that happen? I think um, one of the owners of St. Maisie is uh, Johnny McCormick that owns Modo as well. And he just called me up and said, oh, some lady from the New York Times is going to contact you. And I was like, Wh- whatever. Cool. Into it. So, amazing.
2: I now, I've, I've had the privilege of working with you uh, before, and you're an amazing bartender, but you also do some really cool other stuff, which is a theme on the show. We often talk to people who are working in the industry and also doing other stuff. Um, to subsidize or vice versa, and you're a pretty badass painter. Shucks, oh I've, seen, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen yourself. It's amazing. And and recently, you've been uh, specifically focusing on doing murals. Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, basically, it's that whole aspect of manual labor and painting, mm-hmm. which is like my perfect combination. Of doing anything. <laughs> so um, yeah, because I, I I moved from to Philadelphia in February for only three months. Um, doing um, the mural training program with the Philadelphia Mural Organization and moved back right after it was done and I'm just getting a bunch of walls that I keep doing.
2: How does that work a mural training program? So you show up and it's, you have your little lunch pail and your paints yeah, and
4: they say. Yeah and you have to like sit in class for a few hours <laughs> and they yell at you a lot um, no just basically about learning like what kind of hoops you have to go through, like, you know, community meetings, um, what type of wall it is, like, how, like, if the wall is actually being able to paint on, like, what kind of paint to use, um, and also just, like, doing things like, okay, like, from when I, the one I did on Myrtle Broadway, I learned right away, like, I painted a rooster, but I kind of just painted it freehand and didn't really use photo references, and mad haters like mad haters mean that she, the rooster doesn't look right blah 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 like just to where the point is like I had to go back and just fix it like full on you got mural haters mural haters about a, a rooster because <laughs> there are a lot of roosters in Brooklyn so yeah people, I mean, want, people w- want them represented correctly what did it look like was it like more uh, like cartoon like or no, was it it's very just, realistic it was re- realistic but the beak was too high so I wanted the rooster to be looking up however everybody was like nah, no 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 way <laughs> change it and i was like all oh, right ain't right yeah it was like dance puppets dance like i had to get back on that wall and just like <laughs> fix it and it's like instantly like a million homies come up and they're like all right this is better all right this is a better rooster <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a rooster <laughs> like i was like cool
2: what's the biggest scale mural you've ever done
4: um probably i would say about 60 feet by 40 feet
2: 60 but by- that's huge yeah it's awesome what was it of
4: um basically it was of um uh uh uh, gr- uh, mist- uh, what is it how am I forgetting this I did the one in Baltimore a grist mill which is basically a water wheel I basically did um, oh, I a huge grist mill in Remington in Baltimore just because that whole area used to be just grist mills so uh, the cool thing about doing murals which besides doing your art Doing your art's kind of, like, more about you and your perspective. Doing murals has nothing to do with you. It's about that community and, like, what they're about right. and, like, sort of going along with that community. That's so cool, which, I mean, obviously,
2: the, the parallels between bartending and... Oh, completely. ...and that are, are totally obvious. Yeah. I mean, you have to be innovative. You have to be ballsy. You have to be strong. Physically make, strong. But you gotta and make you have to happy. know the neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. and you gotta make people happy. Yeah, make people happy, man. Um, so, you did this shoot. People are buzzing about it. It's so cool. And it's called... I gotta go here. It's called Women Vine Bars. I
1: hate this title. Like it's, it's, so it's now,
2: <laughs> in theory, it's so cool, and I couldn't be prouder of you or or less surprised that you're mm-hmm. included in the bunch. But like, why? I mean, we asked the question before. Why women? I and I feel like bartending and above, behind- <laughs> even honestly, more than sh- than chefing. I feel like bartending is the one aspect of our industry that is gender polarized. The most. Oh, completely. I mean, I have worked at places that straight up said we will not hire female bartenders. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter. How, why? Why? Like, I don't...
4: I I mean, my thing, I think that it's just one of the things is like, oh, you know, they don't want to leave them alone in the bar. Like, what if something happens? Like, you know, all that kind of like, you know, whatever. But I mean, I guess because there are definitely those certain instances where, you know, like some girls at clubs that work at clubs or work at other bars, like honestly, like they're, they're real pretty, you know what I'm saying? But it doesn't necessarily make them a good bartender, which most girls were known to get hired because of, you know, good looks or whatever. Mm. And I think all these chicks that were on me, like on the photo shoot with me, they were just all like running it, like not taking any... Well, you don't, you
2: don't work in that world. though. I mean, you work in the incredibly heady competitive world of mixologists. I mean, you guys there's no way you could get by in that and and for those of you who can't see Marcy she's also a very pretty girl but like that doesn't have anything to do with it I mean obviously you're getting hired for your skill and your. but it's just like knowing
4: knowing what you're doing also too like not complaining like and just do your job like put your head down and do your job you know so I think I mean I don't know it's just it's interesting to me that um because like it's not like they're doing like dudes behind bars
2: well of course because that's everyone
1: else you know bartenders yeah just featured bartenders right yeah
2: Um, well I have I mean I remember you telling me some stories when you were in Baltimore about you (laughs) standing up for yourself I would never worry about you (laughs) being alone in a bar (laughs) because this woman this, this amazing tattooed bartender woman would not take anything from anyone nope um, so tell me about where you're where you're working right now and what that place is like.
4: Um, Saint Maisie, it's on Grand Street in between Havermeyer and Marcy. Um, said so one of the owners, um, Johnny also owns Moto. It's very very beautiful. It's um, just the whole aesthetic is amazing. Uh, extremely nice food, just like full on, you know, short ribs, chicken, mussels, you know, charcuterie, stuff like that. Really really amazing liquor selection, huge beer selection. Um, lots of bands play also too great like last night this chick um, Diva Malone played like sounds like Etta James but times three mm. like super awesome uh, on Sundays they have Baby Soda which is sort of like a New Orleans style jazz band bunch of swing dancers show up and get crazy uh, on Fridays we have Flamenco so Spanish Flamenco so that kind of rocks it out a Great Backyard um Yeah, it's pretty good Right now we're open from like 6 Until about 4 in the morning 6 to 4 What's your
2: favorite drink You're slinging right now?
4: Oh, favorite drink Um, I would say it's this uh, Sort of twist on an old-fashioned Which is equal parts of Applejack With a little maple syrup and uh, orange and... um, Angostura bitters. Very autumnal.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a perfect fall cocktail. I want to drink that
2: while wearing a sweater and a little scarf, (laughs) which I am right now. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Uh, Perfect. Well, when can we find you there?
4: Um, I'm there every Saturday. Every Saturday. Every
2: Saturday. Marcin Frankowiak, man. You are a badass and a half.
1: And we're going to ask her about a a perfect cocktail for the the Chardonnay's menu. Oh, I got it.
2: Yes, we are. Uh, So when we get back, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to revisit Front of House as well as What's on the Menu at Chardonnays here on The Morning After on
1: Heritage Radio.
2: we're back here in the morning after on Heritage Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time in the program where we revisit the terrible mishaps and wanderings of the front of house. Today's segment is brought to you by a very talented writer and comedian actress that I happen to be working with right now, a woman by the name of Hannah Pearl Utt, an awesome gal. She submitted this story to us yesterday, and it goes a little something like this.
1: Will we be inviting the dame?
2: I think I'm just going to read it. uh, I'm going to leave the dame out of this one. It's so good on its own, I feel like it would be too much that my head would explode. (laughs) After being warned that the Nolita hotspot I was working at was about to undergo an ethnic cleansing, it's true, girls without accents just didn't make sense there, I preemptively quit and found myself wandering around a less chic but just-as-hip neighborhood looking for employment. Fall semester was coming, and my rash transfer was costing me twice as much in tuition and living expenses than in my previous two years of college. Finding a job that day was non-negotiable, and I told myself I would take anything. When I finally walked into Restaurant X, with the tentative, smiley-yet-focused air of someone who was about to ask if they can borrow something, I was surprised by the warmth of the man who greeted me, and my question sounded less desperate with this bald-headed Mark Ruffalo on the receiving end. "'Hi. Are you guys hiring?' Yes, they were, he thought. they just hired someone, but he didn't think she was working out. He personally didn't like her and would put in a good word for me. I'll give your resume to Stalin. Pardon? (laughs) Stalin, the manager. Of course, Stalin, the manager. I received a call from Stalin a few hours later, asking if I could start the next day. I would have to trail the woman whose job I would be taking, and after that, he would get rid of her. But, please, I can't tell her until after weekend. She has to work the weekend. Stalin seemed like a fair and benevolent leader. Great, sounds great. I'll see you tomorrow at nine. I arrived at Restaurant X at 9 a.m. on the dot, wearing an outfit that said, I'm taking this seriously, but I have a life. Nice, but not trying too hard. Just like the restaurant. Just like the neighborhood. At around 9.15, I had a dishwasher let me in. I sat and waited until 9.30 when I decided to start taking down chairs and setting up tables. The hours were written on the door. I wasn't mistaken. The restaurant was due to open at 10. After doing everything I could to set up, having only been in there once, I sat back down and opened up my book. At 9.45, a mousy, nervous little twig of a woman walked in, threw her bag on a chair, and went to wash her hands. Hi. Hi. I said, realizing she wasn't going to notice me on her own. Oh my god, you scared the crap out of me, she squealed with a big New Jersey accent that made no sense coming out of her Midwestern face. We don't open until ten. Yeah, Stalin told me to come at nine. Oh, because we don't open until ten. I understood her confusion. She thought I was a guest. A guest who would somehow let herself in an hour before opening, set everything up, and sat down to wait for a server. I'm training, I said. Oh, where? I wonder who quit. The first couple of hours of service went by smoothly, but Susan was beginning to grow on me, and knowing that I was there to take her job when she thought she was gaining a friend made it hard for me to enjoy the conversation. It didn't help that the two main things she wanted to talk about were her son and the feelings she'd woken up with that, smor- that morning that something really terrible was going to happen at around noon things started to pick up and the tiny restaurant was flooded by a stream of attractive weekenders with wicked hangovers and cool hair susan was a terrible server and didn't manage her stress very well at the height of the brunch rush she disappeared for 20 minutes to take a phone call from stalin i didn't know where she'd gone until a guest informed me that there was a woman screaming and crying in the back garden and just thought i should know Susan reappeared apologetic and tear-stained, and was back on the floor for no more than 30 minutes before she excused herself again to throw up, casually explaining, I think I'm having a panic attack. At around 3 o'clock, having made it through waiting on a busy restaurant I'd never worked in before, by myself on a Sunday brunch, I sat down to enjoy a little napkin folding and a beer. Susan joined me at the bar and thanked me for covering for her. I told guests to try the bathroom next door. That heaving sound our toilet is making is broken. I asked if she had a cigarette. She perked up and gave me a conspiratorial nudge. A drinker and a smoker. I didn't think you were the type. Oh, I- I'm not, I said, and then made a lame joke. Uh, I'd never made before, that rarely goes over well. But I could really go for some heroin, I said. <laughs> really? She said, suddenly very engaged. No, no, of course not. "'She slumped back in her chair, disappointed, and sighed, "'Yeah, I started doing it to come down from Coke, "'but now I'm hooked.' (laughs) "'She laughed at herself, genuinely amused, "'and pulled out a little baggie of something white and powdery. "'She shook it a couple of times, lovingly, and said, "'That's my baby,' and disappeared back into the bathroom. "'When Stalin questioned me about why I wouldn't be staying at Restaurant X, I told him I'd found another gig, "'but that I thought he was wrong about Susan. "'I resumed my job hunt the next day "'with a newfound confidence and gratitude.' And as I withdrew my last $40 to print more resumes and feed my artisanal coffee addiction, the thought that it could always be worse resonated with me in a new way. That's a story by Hannah Perlott here on The Morning After on Heritage Radio Network.
1: What a nightmare. <laughs> That's, my <baby. laughs>
2: That's my baby.
1: We don't open until <laughs> 10 o'clock.
2: Hannah told me this story. We were, I was over... At, uh, at her apartment and we were we were talking and eating a salad and I said oh you know I'm doing this segment on, on the radio show I'm working on and she said oh I, I have a couple of stories and proceeded to not only tell me the story but act it out in full charade in her kitchen and I was on the floor and I said please email that to me because it's perfect
1: Speaking, I, th- I think Susan would work at Chardonnays. I think
2: Susan does work at Chardonnays. She's the floor manager. Yes, Speaking of which, Jesse, wh- what is on the menu at Chardonnays this week?
1: I'm I'm hoping that Marcy's going to tell us. It's cocktail cocktail time at Chardonnays. It is.
2: It's cocktail hour. It's happy hour at Chardonnays, and your
4: head bartender, Marcy.
1: Happy hour at Chardonnays. Yes. Mid nineties, you're thinking? Yep. It's like a feel? it's like a plastic, you know, Laminated menu like a menu. picture frame or something. Oh, great.
4: The
2: glasses have light up bottoms and they're called things like the hurricane, the storm.
1: There might be
4: flames. Well, you have to name this one. Okay. So you give me the recipe and then I'll name it. Alright, so we have one point five ounce Hennessy. <laughs> it's
1: great. already great. Okay.
4: Su- um, Susan loves it. Uh two ounces, uh coconut siroc, diddy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> shout out shake, oh. it. shake it top of the alizé gold tooth served in a honda civic with the head beam, high beams on
2: I am in, the in, light, in light of our, our very serious interview earlier I'm going to call this out on bail done <laughs> ladies and gentlemen on the menu at charges nice this evening is the out on bail requested it is slightly it's two dollars more and it's enough charge if you get whipped cream Mm-hmm. yes <laughs> <laughs> What's on the menu with Chardonnay's?
1: <laughs> on that note, thanks everyone for tuning in. This is the morning after on Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> <laughs>